Shall we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that you are a God of unlimited possibilities. We thank you are a God who never repeats his design, yet you never run out of ideas. We thank you that you, this God, are our Father. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live the Christian life. We thank you for working behind the scenes of our life. We thank you for orchestrating the events of our lives. And we thank you we can never be disadvantaged in this life. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion tonight in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. Well, we thank God for another opportunity to share fellowship in his word. And we are on the third episode of our new series in the new year, in our new year titled Rightly Dividing Part 3. And before I start, as a proud member, if I should say, of the Methodist Church, we just yeah, we just finished celebrating a special week in the life of the church and people like John Wesley who have obeyed the call of God upon their lives and many souls after their life are still benefiting from their obedience to the call of God. And sometimes I want to chip in. Um, I realize that most people are not appreciated in their generation. People like Paul, in fact, people like Kenneth E. Hagen. Now, if you mention his name, he's a widely respected and honored man of God. But during this time, people didn't really seem like that. In fact, there's a book that's written on him. And if you look at the life of Paul, if you read particularly in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, Paul was continually having to prove himself to the people that it's an apostle, that it's called of God. In one instance, am I not also an apostle? He said, if I'm not an apostle to anybody, you in one or you alone, I'm an apostle to you. But now look at the way we cherish Paul, we appreciate Paul. So most people are not really honored in their generation. It's mostly generations after them that we need to cherish them. Look at all the people that God has used, Catherine Coleman, all these people. During that time, it was really a battle for them. This is just um, a free, <laughs> is the appetizer. So yes, we are continuing our study on rightly dividing from 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, where Paul is telling Timothy and Paul is telling us, the church, that study to show yourself approved, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly divide word of truth. Then we said that it is only truth when it is rightly divided. And we build up a point to come at the Bible. It's a, a collection of 66 books and about 40 authors wrote it over a period of 1,500 years. Unlike other books where it was written by one man primarily. And I gave the example of the Quran. Even though there's a belief that God sent or Allah sent in the Gabriel to Muhammad to give him the things to pen down. But it was one man who was the, if I would say, the mediator between the supernatural and man. But that's not the case for the Bible. God used different people under different circumstances, doing different areas of life. And they could all write down the same coherent message. And that adds to the validity of the word of God. It's not an, it's not a, an idea of one man, nor a group of people that sat down to 
put their heads together and come up with something to enslave people, as some people might say. Then you look at the fact that these people were holy men. They were not necessarily sinless men or perfect men. They were men of like passions as we are. They were men who also had the same kind of cravings that we have. But amongst all these things, they were men who were available for God. And there's one thing I noticed very interesting about the Bible. Now, if you look at the book of Isaiah, there's something out there that Isaiah is like a prophecy about the canonization of scripture. Now, if you notice, Isaiah has 66 chapters and the same as the Bible. The Bible has 66 books. Now, if you take a look at the book of Isaiah from chapter 1 to chapter 39, it's about when the people of Israel went bondage, went exile. Then from the 40th to the 66th verse, talks about after they have been delivered. And it, it paints a picture of the Bible. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah is like one testament. Then from the 40th chapter to the last, it's about like a New Testament. And if you realize the first verse of Isaiah 40, comfort ye, oh, comfort ye, Jerusalem. That's when they had come back from exile when they are now entered into freedom. And it gives us a picture about the Bible, talking about the two major divisions of the Bible. There's so much, but that's not what we are looking at. Just a brief recap. Then last week, we went on to look at, we started to look at some things, some foundational pillars that should be in place in our lives in order to have a more fruitful Bible discussion. And the first, and I think one of the most important is that you must be a spiritual person. First Corinthians 2, 14 and 16, you must be spiritual. And a spiritual means that you must be alive in the spirit, number one and two, you must be active in the spirit. Then you said that you read for understanding. You don't go there with your preconceived ideologies and mentalities and philosophies looking for a scripture to confirm what you wanted to. But you go there with an open heart looking for what God is telling you, with a heart not filled, with an open heart, with an unveiled eyes that you may receive of the world. And you said also that you must pay attention to the details in the Bible, the statements that are made, especially in the Old Testament, the things that there is no statement in the Bible that is useless. There's a reason why God inspired the artist to pen down some things. And it's not just about the things that were written, but about the things that were not written and we are continuing with our study, that pay attention to details. Now, it is said that silence speaks a lot. The silence, and we have coined the saying that silence means concern. Meaning if you ask something, who stole the meat? And the person is quiet about it. That means the person has either has an idea about who stole it or the person is involved in it. So just people's silence in, in itself communicates a lot. And it's the same thing in the Bible. There's some things that you, if you, there's one another pillar that you get to putting yourself in it when you are reading the Bible. You will notice some things the Bible was silent on, some things the Bible didn't really throw more light on. And those things in themselves communicate a lot to us. For example, um, yes, when we were doing the three classmates, we talked about the fact that Joseph was from a loving family and was obvious because his father clearly loved him and made it known. But if you get to David, the Bible didn't really talk about the father, Jesse's attitude towards David. But just by the scenario, it gives you an idea of the kind of relationship they had. Even though the Bible didn't clearly state that Jesse did not like David or Jesse liked David, but you can make some inference from the statement. And we gave one that if you look at Joseph's instance, he being the last boy, he was made to stay at home with the father. And he was sent occasionally to give reports. 
but who would send a teenage boy in the desert or in a wilderness pair of sheep when you know very well that these animals were prone to a lot of wild beasts. And at the time, at the time Prophet Samuel came to anoint David was around the age of 16. So that means that David was a shepherd boy from like 13, 14, 15, 16. Now, if you have elder brothers who are dead, it's not safe that at least you let one of them accompany David in the wilderness. But yet still, he was the one. To the extent that even when the prophet Samuel came to anoint kings, he had to ask him about three times before Jesse remembered his son. So even though the Bible didn't clearly tell that Jesse had an issue with David, we are able to make certain deductions, we are able to make certain inferences from things like this. And you should pay attention to these things when you are reading the Bible. Even the silence, the thing that the Bible is silent or the thing the Bible doesn't emphasize on. Sometimes when you are reading, you noticing certain input. Oh, that alone should draw your mind to the fact that there is more than what meets the eye. And we are continuing. The next thing that you should take note of is that since the Bible was not written based on topics, this is the major reason why we should learn to rightly divide the word of truth. And we have said this the other time, that it's not as though if you want to study about faith, you can just open into a particular book, a particular chapter, and you see all about faith in that chapter, or all about faith in that book. If you want to study about Titan, about first fruit, it's not as if there's a dedicated portion of the Bible that addresses that issue. No. So because the Bible was not written based on topic, if you want to study out the topic in the Bible, you need to do a thorough study. And this is the reason why you need to write, clearly divide the word, not just find it in one portion of it, but you need to start from Revelation, from Genesis, sorry, and get to Revelation. That's the thing that I want you to know. Now, let's continue. The next thing that we should notice for the next foundational or the next pillar that should be in our hearts, if I should say, in approaching the Bible or in studying the Bible is that the Bible is meant to be studied. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. The Bible is meant to be studied. That's the only way you can rightly divide the word of truth. And this is, in quote, my biggest issue with many of us. I don't know how we expect to know the things in the Bible or to know about the truth of God's word without ever opening our Bible. Somewhere in Jesus, I used to be amazed as to how my classmates knew a lot about football. I remember those times, um, this Alex Ferguson and, and Jose Mourinho and Asin, that my mates used to argue a lot. I'm like, hey, they can remember who scored this goal, the scenario behind how the goal was scored, like so much details. I'm like, hey, why did they go to a school to study all these things? But after a while, I realized that it was not a default setting. Because I realized most of my mates, every week they buy sports graphic. Every time they're listening to sports news, every time they're watching football matches, they are investing a lot of time into their football. So by their investment, they are reaping it in terms of the knowledge they know about it. But it would amaze you to know how rare it is for Christians to read their Bible. Or to study their Bible. And studying the first component of studying the Bible has to do with reading the Bible. And this is one of the most important things that many of us neglect. And up to now, it keeps amazing me when people don't want to read the Bible, yet they want to understand it, yet they want to rightly divide it. It's something that keeps amazing me every single day. And what, in quote, annoys me the most 
is that the people you always find arguing about things in the Bible or challenging things in the Bible or talking about biblical things are people who they can't remember the last time they ever opened their Bible. I remember one in school, we were going for a, a class trip. And in a bus, all at the while, they were doing an argument on Titan, or yeah, about thing about Titan. And you could see these people arguing in a car. And one of them was my friend, personally. I said, oh, I nearly mentioned his name. <laughs> And the nigga, when was the last time you opened your Bible? For more than three, four, five years, this guy never opened his Bible to even read it for five minutes. Ask yourself, this week, have you spent 15 minutes? So let's say this week, have you spent an hour, a total of an hour reading the Bible this week? So it may be, let's say, the week is seven days. So let's say 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Even if you spend 10 minutes reading in a week, that'll be an hour. But it will amaze you that many people have not even spent 30 minutes reading the Bible in a week. And for some mystical reason, you want to be able to rightly divide it. You want to be able to appreciate it. You want the thing to make sense to us. Look at the way people spend years in school to study about the eye. People spend years in school to study about mathematics, to study about engineering, to study about law. For something they will need throughout the course of your life. You don't seem to find the energy, the time, and the need to even spend an hour a week reading the Bible. And this is the biggest challenge as to why many of us are unable to appreciate the Bible, are able to rightly divide it. I always tell people that just the simple act of reading the Bible, you'll be amazed at the depth of revelation you'll get access to. It's as simple as that. Merely reading the Bible, you'll be amazed how well informed and how well enlightened you'll be after a period of time. Now, this joke, this thing that my friend likes to say, I have his friend. Then one day he found this book by Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages, and he read it and he was very intrigued. Then after he read the book, he was having conversations, I think, with some colleagues at work or some friends. And yes, I think that book and the temperaments, the sanguine, phlegmatic, and all those things. And at work, something came about and he was sharing it with them. And I think he was sharing with some ladies that, oh, some people are sanguine, this is the way they are. So I think, I don't know the, what, what about the issue, but let me assume that maybe someone came to complain that my boyfriend is like this. Oh, and the guy was advising that, oh, maybe he's a phlegmatic. Or he's a perfectionist, that's why this, this, this. And he said, the ladies made a comment that, hey, I never knew you were so knowledgeable. Hey, Charlie, you are really an intelligent guy, you are a smart guy, I know. And they were giving the guy fans. And the guy was amazed how one book on temperament has made him look like <laughs> an expert in relationship. And you'd be amazed at the same thing that happens when you read the word of God. Automatically, you look knowledgeable. But like, hey, you know, stop calling yourself. Just because you read the Bible. Because many of the questions we have, if only you will simply read, you will be amazed that you can find the answers right before you. So most of them, I have this saying that if you come and ask me a question, I'll mostly say that start reading from Genesis. By the time you get to Revelations, <laughs> you would see your answer. And it's true. And I think what we did in the garden, I give an example. Genesis chapter 3. And now the serpent was more subtle than any of the creatures the Lord God had made. So now the question is, who is the serpent? And by the time you get to Revelations, you will know who that serpent is. It's in Revelation that the answer of who that serpent is is there. That dragon, the accuser of the burden, the devil, Satan. 
And this one, you don't need to speak in tongues for 10 hours before you see this. You don't need to be anointed with fright or, or, or you don't need to be baptized at the river Jordan for your eyes to see this one. Just the merely reading of scripture, you'll be amazed at the insight of the word of God you will get. And this is what many of us are failing to do. Many of us have never read the story about Cain and Abel before. Never. We have never opened the Bible to Genesis chapter 4 and sat down for ourselves and we have never. We have never read about David before. His whole life from the time he was mentioned in the Bible to the time we stop mentioning his name. Many of us have never read the Gospels before. Many of us have never read the stories, the book of Jonah. Many of us have never read the book of Jonah before. The only thing we know about him is he was called by God. He tried to run away. The whale caught him. He spent three days, three nights. Then he went back and he preached them. That's all we know. And the source of our information is what we have heard from somewhere or what they told us or a book we read, a, a, a child, a, a cartoon book we read about the book of Jonah. Many of us have never ever sat down to read Jonah's about just four chapters. We have never sat down to read the book of Jonah. And my question is, if you have not done it, how do you expect to get insight into the life of Jonah. There is more to the story of Jonah than him running away and the world swallowing him. The depth of the revelation of Christ in the life of Jonah, you'll be amazed. David and Goliath, many of us have never read the story from the Bible before. Most of the things we know about the Bible, we know about God and his dealings with men, were things we have heard people say. We things that we have come across in Sunday school or we told at church, but there are things we have never read before directly from the Bible. Most of us don't know how to pray. It will amaze you. That's because we have simply not spent time to read the Bible. I just listed about five things that will happen to you when you read the Bible. The first thing is that one, you'll be amazed at the details that are left out in the stories you have heard about the Bible, you'll be amazed. And I give the story of Jonah. When you read the book of Jonah, you'll be amazed that there are so many, there's so much truth in that story that you won't hear in a casual story that someone is just telling you. The story about Cain and Abel, many of us have never read that story before. So we don't know after Cain killed Abel, we don't know what happened. All we that was Seth King. But after Seth, we don't know what happened to Adam and Eve. We have no idea. And you see, the stories we hear, they don't contain the details. There are many details that you read in the Bible that you will never hear in stories. Therefore, you are unable to appreciate. So therefore, what you know about Jonah is very, very limited. Because all that you know about Jonah is what you have heard. So if you are told to share about some or to share from the book of Jonah, you can't see anything new than what is already around. That he disobeyed God, he entered a whale's stomach for three days, he came back and he went to preach to them and he repented. That's all we know. We cannot share anything. But even if you look at the last book of Jonah, God's reaction, you know when Jonah went to preach, most of you don't even know, and, and the people repented. Jonah was angry that God had forgiven them. I'm sure most of you have never known this thing that was in the Bible. There are so many fantastic stories in the Bible and so many details. If you read about David and Goliath, you would realize the vast details and truth that is locked up in that story. That is waiting for you to just read it and God will show you. The next thing you realize when you just simply read the Bible is that there are fantastically cock and bull stories you are hearing all around. <laughs> 
you will be amazed that some things you have held on as they are truth. Some story that you have held on to. When you read, you realize that the story is not the same as what it is in the Bible. So many of them. For example, let's read the story of Cain and Abel. Let us take an example. You know, the general ideology out there is that the reason why God did not accept Cain's offering, um, one, he didn't offer the story out there that Abel offered them. There are some who say that um, God likes blood. God sacrifices, don't sacrifice vegetables. Whilst Abel is bringing meat and lamb and offering burnt offering, Cain is the one offering um, vegetables and lettuce. God is not a vegetarian. That's <laughs> but let's just read the story and be amazed. Genesis chapter 4. Let's start from the verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Then the verse 4, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his food. Full stop. And had respect unto Abel and his offering. Verse 5, but unto Cain and his offering, he did not have respect. And Cain was wroth, and his countenance fell. Verse 6, and the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Verse 7, if thou doest well, will thou not be accepted? Many of us have never read this story before. Nowhere are we told about the quality of their offering. The only indication you can get was that the Bible emphasized that Abel brought the firstlings. And even if you notice, you realize that it was Cain who brought his offering first. Because in the post of time, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. So people are saying, Cain, Abel brought the fat, signifying the best portions. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So now you will notice a detail that it was not just about the offering, but it was about the person offering the offering. So you look at what it says, um, verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering. So it was not just about the quality of the offering, but it was the person offering the offering. So now the question is, why did God accept Abel's offering? I'll just leave that one handy. You would answer it later. <laughs> but you see, there's so much details and there's so much truth that we are not told. And the only way we find out those truth is when we sit down for ourselves and read it. And the third thing, so that would be my third point. The third thing you notice when you read the Bible for yourself is the simplicity in the way. It means that things are just there. Sometimes, <laughs> it's my own expression. Things are in the word as plain as possible. And I'll give you an example. Many of the so-called things that I find so difficult to understand. Why did God do this? Why did God do that? Why did this happen? Why did God? If you just sit down to read, you'll be amazed that the thing, it is not in any hidden code. It is just the plain. And I will give an example to buttress all these points. And the last, or the last but one that you will notice when you read the Bible for yourself is that scripture always answers itself. You see, and this is the main issue with rightly dividing the word or Bible interpretation. Many of us like to put our assumptions in giving a reason for what happened in the Bible. And that is what is causing so much division. There is no question in the Bible that is not answered in the Bible. I take it again. <laughs> there is no question in the Bible that is not answered in the Bible. And if only you read it, as I said, a question you see in Genesis 
by the time you get to relations, you would see your answer. It's as plain as it is. People ask questions like, I think I said this last week, that Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, and some people said they saw God. If you come to the New Testament, John 1, 1 Timothy 6, the Bible says nobody has seen God or nobody can see God. The answer is in the Bible. Cain and Abel, why did God accept Abel's offering and not Cain's offering? The answer is in the Bible. What again? The law, the purpose of the law and grace. What is the law? Why did God bring the law? And all those things about the law. Are we supposed to, to adhere to the law? All these questions we have in the answer is in the Bible. And now, oh, uh, this one I enjoyed the most. When David was bringing the Ark of Covenant and they got to the threshing floor and their cattle stamped hold the Ark and the Lord struck him dead. The common story out there that when God is falling, allow him to fall. Don't try and help God. But that is not scripture. That is not scripture. I remember I, I was having a discussion with some friends a time ago and we were discussing about it. It was an Easter period and we were having an Easter discussion and we were discussing about why did Jesus tell Mary Magdalene, you know, after he resurrected, he went to see Mary Magdalene. She was at her graveyard still crying. And Jesus said, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. And we are trying to peruse to know why Jesus made us do The answer is in the Bible. And I've heard that many of us, we like to put our interpretation, our assumptions into scriptural interpretation. And that's where most of us, we end up in diverse ways. Because we all will not see the same thing or we will all not see something at the same angle. But it is not your book. So God doesn't want your anger. <laughs> he has already provided the answer. So every question about the Bible is answered. Or every question you find in the Bible is answered in the Bible. If only you simply read. Another fantastic question I came across, I think in Proverbs, I think 24 verse 3, Solomon says that, labor not to be rich. That's the I love so much. Labor not to be rich. Cease from your own understanding. Proverbs, I think 24 verse 3. So the issue that if we are not working to be rich, why should we work? <laughs> the answer is in the Bible. So, as I said, because the Bible is not written topically, you won't find the answer in the next sentence. No. Start from Genesis. By the time you get to Revelations, you see your answer. Another question. Why did the angel make Zachariah dumb? You know, when the angel went to visit Zachariah and told him about John the Baptist, about John, and why did he make um, Zachariah dumb? And people argue that Mary kind of said the same thing. But for Mary, they were not even blessed there the most. Why? They people are putting their own interpretation as to because of this, because of that, because of this. But the answer is in the Bible. If only you would read. If only you would read. So let me leave the Cain and Abel one for you. But let's take a simple one. As to why God killed Uzzah when the ark was stumbling, when David was bringing it to Jerusalem. You know, after that incident, David was really angry with God. So David took the the Ark of Covenant to the house of Obedidom. And the Bible is very interesting. And the Lord prospered Obedidom. <laughs> Something that was killing people and gave them a broken heart. When he took that same Ark of Covenant into Obedidom's house, Obedidom began to prosper. And the guy prospered so much that David said, nah, he has to go back for his thing. But let's just read briefly why God did that. First Chronicles 15, verse 13. The answer is there plainly. You don't need to speak in tongues to see this. Just simply reading this thing as a spiritual person, you would see your answer. I won't read it for you, but go ahead and read it. First Chronicles 15, 
verse 13 following. The answer is simply there why God killed Israel just by the mere reading of the Bible. I really want to encourage you, if only you will read, you will be amazed. And the last thing you would notice is that the revelation in the Bible or the truth in the Bible is progressive. This is very important. So you don't hold on to one scripture and then camp around that scripture and make a doctrine of that scripture. But when you start to read the Bible, as I said, when you start reading from Genesis, by the time you get to Revelation, <laughs> one of the things you will notice is that God was building up a story. God was telling a story right from Genesis. And by the time you get to Revelation, you see the whole picture of the story. So you don't just take one scripture and hold on to it and say, hey, this is the truth. And it's very practical when you are in school. For example, if you do chemistry, sorry if I'm not a science student, I'll try and have a science student, so that's the example I can give. I'll try and give a math example. If you do chemistry, at the level of chemistry, they will tell you that when you are writing the electronic configuration, the first shell takes two and subsequent shells take eight. At the level, this is what they will teach you. But when you go further, you realize that it's not really so. But at that level, that is what you are being taught. But as you go on, you realize that there is more to it than 2888 or whatever. <laughs> it's like when they're teaching you maths, they will tell you something now at class 6. By the time you get to GSS 3, you realize that there is more to that than what they taught you. By the time you get to secondary school, you realize there is more. By the time you get to university, you realize there is more. By the time you do your master and PhD, you realize, Charlie, what they were teaching you in primary school, literally, they were lying to you. But it is not a lie at that level. Because they are trying to communicate something to you. But at that moment, you cannot get all. And since God was using people over a period of 1,500 years, he could not tell them everything instantly. That's what makes the Bible so sweet and so divine. That God was able to use people from different backgrounds and that different dispensations to complete one beautiful picture that he was trying to draw. Let's look at an example. If you go to the Old Testament, there's a statement made by Moses that, Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. That's a very fantastic script. The people have held on to that scripture to deny the reality or the truth about Trinity. That, hey, God is only one. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And Moses is speaking here. He's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So many people have held on to this to impart the reality of the Trinity. Because Papa Moses said there, Behold, O Israel, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. So there's only one God. But what they are failing to realize, if I look at the context, like this scripture has nothing to do with how people are interpreting it. But since we are talking about just the mere reading, let me answer this question using the reading or how reading just the reading of the Bible will help you understand this question. Let's go to John. Remember, I told you what you see in, in, the, in, in Genesis. By the time you get to Revelation, you see the answer. Let's go to John chapter 17, what is mostly called the priestly prayer of Jesus. 17, when Jesus was praying. And I think the Presbyterian Church is one of their, um, I don't know, they, are, they are call it their motto or whatever, their slogan. Verse 21. Jesus is praying that, that they may all be one as thou, Father, and me. Let me use a sweeter, <laughs> a sweeter version. I'm using a King James. Let me use um, maybe the NIV version. And God willing, will be next week or next two weeks. We'll look about Bible versions and translation. That's 
John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus is praying for all believers that they may all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Jesus is saying that they may all be one. And he battles by saying that just as the way I and you are one, the oneness between I and you, I'm praying for that same kind of oneness among the believers. Now, my question is, we all believers, are we one in the context of, are we all in one body? Absolutely not. So the one that Moses was talking about, was not saying there's only one, like there's only Father. Jesus is not God, Holy Spirit is not part, there's only just one being. That's not what Moses is saying. And Jesus answered that he also wants us to be one. Is he saying that we should all be, we should all enter into one body? So you clearly see that the way you are interpreting, you are interpreting your Bible is inaccurate. There's one way to answer that question. There are so many angles, and you look at it as we look at the other pillars to realize the oneness that Moses was talking about just by the mere reading of the Bible. You would realize. So you realize these things or the truth in the Bible are progressive. Let's look at another principle you realize about the progressiveness of the truth in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 44, Papa Paul speaking over here. He says that it is soon a natural body, it is really a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there's a spiritual body. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Verse 46, how be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which is spiritual. He's saying that the first Adam was a living soul, the last Adam was a quickening spirit. However, the first one who came was not a spiritual being, or was not spiritual, but it was natural. Then after the natural Adam, then the spiritual Adam came. Now verse 47, he said, the first man is of the earth, earthly, and the second man is of, is of the Lord from the heaven. Verse 48, as is the earthly, so also we are also earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also we are also heaven. The verse 47. First, let's read another version. First Corinthians 15, verse 47. Let's see the principle there. Verse 47. Yes. Paul is speaking. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man is of the second man is of the Lord, which is from heaven. Now Paul is teaching us something that the second Adam that came was a spiritual Adam. So now why is God doing this? Now, you must appreciate that, as I said, if you realize in teaching, one principle that is used in teaching, as in academic teaching, is that you always teach from the known to the unknown. So God, in his dealings with people, he always deals with them from the flesh into the spiritual. Because we are not spiritual beings, in quotes. We cannot relate when spiritual truth is given to us in this raw state. So God tries to use, that's why we have parables. We have shadows and we even have the law. So all those things is God teaches. Then he goes into the spirit. He wants with something that we are familiar with. So just after the first Adam, his act was able to influence all those that came after him. So also the second Adam's act is able to influence all those who come after him. It's very important that we appreciate these things. So another example is that people think that the God in quotes in the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament. That's not true. It's the same God. The issue is that God is the same, but the people he has been related with are changing people. The first Adam's relation with God is not the same as 
or Adam before the fall is not the same as Adam after the fall. So let me use an example of let's say somebody, a, a man, a CEO of a company. He's the same person, but the way he will relate with his employees is different. Even amongst employees, the way you relate with um, executive board members is not the same way you relate with the security man. It's not the same way you relate with his wife. It's not the same way you relate with his children. So what has happened? Even though the being is the same, the relationship is having with people are different. So how God was relating with the first Adam is not as though it is different, but because our position keeps changing with God. And a classical example is if you are in a car, if you are traveling and you are in a car, you would realize that if you are in a car, you look out of the window, it's as though the buildings or the trees are moving. So it's as though the trees or the buildings are chasing after you. But the buildings and the trees are stagnant. You are the one that is moving. And that's the way God is. God has always been the same. But our relation with him is what is changing. Because first we are Adam, the Adam before the fall. Then it became Adam after the fall. Then God chose Abraham and his lineage. So the way God was related to Abraham and his lineage was different from the way God was related with the Midianites, the Philistines, and all the ites before the coming of Jesus. And remember, even when we were doing why the wilderness, we gave an important principle that the reason why God considered to take or God would consider to take you through the wilderness is because he considers you as his child. So because God considers you as his child, he's going to take you through the wilderness. It doesn't mean that another person that he doesn't consider his child, he's going to take the person through that same treatment. No, doesn't mean he's a different person. No. So it's only when you are reading the Bible and you get to appreciate the progressive nature of the truth in the Bible. So first John tells us a very important scripture that Jesus has come to give us an understanding. I think we should read that scripture. It's in first John 5 verse 20. First John 5 verse 20. It reads, and I read, And we know that the Son of God is come and had given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even as his son, Jesus. Said, Jesus has come, and his coming has come to give us understanding. It is very important. So dealing with the truth in the Bible, you should look at it from the pinnacle of Jesus. And as we keep going on, as well, if you get to understanding the Old Testament, you know how important this is. So there's an understanding about God that Jesus has given us. And obviously, that means that all those who came before him, did not have this understanding and obviously it would influence how they describe and how they talk about this world and this leads us to the next point which will pause me to end there talking about context and i know everybody knows how important reading in context is so i won't do much about this but one thing about context is that you should look at who is saying what in the Bible and the conditions by which the person is saying it. This is very, very important. So even though many of us appreciate content that, oh, you must look at what was said before and what was said after, no pretext and post-text or something like that, you appreciate that. But what many of us lose sight of is that, one, who is saying it? So the fact that you see a statement in the Bible doesn't mean it's truth. Because it is not only only men that spoke in the Bible. Lucifer spoke in the Bible. Unbelievers spoke in the Bible. Animals spoke in the Bible. 
natural men spoken in the Bible, especially when they are dealing with the Old Testament. And a very common example is in the book of Job, because there are so many statements Job made when he was going through tribulation that are not truth. And the most common one is what we use in phone where the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. That's the most common example I can think of now. But there are so many statements that take in the Bible. You must look at the person communicating it. What condition was the person? And was the person saying it as a word from God or the person was telling his mind? And it's very important we appreciate this. And a common example is in the birth of Samson. For the sake of time, we will go with it. When his father Manoah, you know, an angel appeared to him and told him about it. Now, if you read the preceding verse, the Bible tells us it was an angel who appeared to him. But when Manoah was talking to his wife, Manoah didn't say an angel. Manoah said God appeared to him. And this makes a whole lot of difference. So if the Bible didn't give appear, we would have added Samson's father as Manoah to the list of who are single. But when Manoah was talking to his wife, he said God appeared to him. And even at the, uh, when the angel appeared again, and he made him that I have seen the face of God and I have lived. That means God has come to kill me. And his wife said, you foolish man, <laughs> not me, try that. If God wanted to kill you, he would have killed you. But if you have seen him and you are still alive, that means he had no intention of killing you. So the fact that Manoah called that being God doesn't mean that that being was God. That is what we want to talk about context. It's not just about reading what was said before and after. You must look at who said it, under what condition was it said, to whom was it said. To. All these things are important in appreciating the truth that we access in the Word of God. This is where we end for tonight. So tonight, the two things I want to leave with you is that the first component of studying the Bible is by reading it. And the second component is by looking at the context. And in the context, I've already explained. And I said that by merely reading the Bible, there are five things you come across. One, so many details are left out in the stories we hear and the sermons that are preached. Because the person who's saying the sermon picks on some details just to buttress the point he's trying to communicate. And you ignore some details. The second thing you notice is that some of the things that we have come to know as truth are actually concoctions and cock and boo stories from people. And if only you go and read. I remember I've given an example on this podcast. Somebody went to tell somebody that, oh, I've seen that somebody's holding your destiny. And the person is a very fantastic scripture. And I asked the lady that, oh, sweetheart, if you read this scripture, you will know that the scripture that a guy is using, it has nothing to do with the situation you are in. But because the lady has never read that portion of the Bible before, she has also just heard about it. She easily fell for it. The second thing is that you notice the simplicity in the word. That this thing that we think are emotions, especially, for example, the book of Revelations. If you take your time to read the book of Revelations from chapter 1 to chapter, I think, 22, you'll be amazed. Of course, there are some things that are hard to understand, but you appreciate a large portion of this book is very simple. It's as plain as it is. Of course, there are some mysteries, like who is riding the horse and all those things. Even in that one, in some of the instances, they explain who is the horse rider, just the near reading. The second one is that scripture always answers itself. Every question in the Bible is answered in the Bible. Labor not to be rich. Why are you to labor? It's in the Bible. And the final thing that truth is progressing in the Bible. God was talking, God was dealing with us. And at every point, he renews something. For example, let me give you a detail. Have you noticed that the word Jehovah doesn't appear in the New Testament? You never see anybody referring to God as Jehovah in the New Testament. And these are some of the details that you won't hear a preacher telling you. You won't hear in stories. But when you yourself read the Bible, you take note of some details. 
Another detail we take a look and ask ourselves why. <laughs> I will tell you why. Another detail is if you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, that's one of the most interesting chapters. But if you simply read it, you will notice so many things about the creation story that you have never heard by the mere reading of the Bible. So you want to spend some time in prayer. You have prayed this prayer on a podcast before. When we're doing six things to pray for in the year 2021, you said that you need grace to stay in the presence of God. It seems as though we are too busy in this world. We want to pray for grace. Our Father, grant us the grace to read the Bible. Grant us the grace to know and appreciate the fact that this is your word, a gift you have given to us. And we should not take it for granted. Many of us are being bamboozled by prophecies, by cock and bull stories. Many of us are being tossed to and fro. Many of us today, we believe this more. We believe that we hear this, we know this. Many of us are quoting statements that are not biblical. Many of us are quoting statements that are not accurate because we ourselves don't have time to read the Bible. Many of us are falling for so many doctrines and teachings and so many things because we ourselves are not able to sit down and read. Because maybe we don't see the relevance. Some of us think, oh, if I'm not going to be a pastor, I don't need to read the Bible. But it's not about being a pastor. It contains the word. The Proverbs tells us that they are ripe for those who that's why many of us are able to live out the life of God to the fullest because we don't even know what it entails. And the reason why we don't know what it entails is because we don't know what is inside. Simply because we don't do it. Father, grant us the grace to be sitting down and see nothing wrong with it. And don't even see the victims pass us by. But just simply spend your five minutes in the world and it becomes like you are, you are, you are carrying the bag of sin. Father, we pray for help. We pray for help, Lord. That we need to be the best in studying, we need to be the best in reading. Paul did that. Commit yourself, said, before I come, give yourself into reading. Give yourself into reading. Read the Bible, start to read the Bible. Read about the stories of David. Then, Father, grant us the grace to read about Moses, to read about Abraham, to read about the Gospels, to read about all these things. They will not just flow with what we have heard from, from Sunday school or from preachers or from stories or from social media. They will pay the price of reading the Bible ourselves because that is the first step in being able to access the life of your way. We are walking in darkness. We are erring because we don't know the truth. The truth which is supposed to guide us. We are being subject to all sorts of elements in this world because of our ignorance. Father, grant us the grace to be students of the world. Father, grant us the grace to deal with every distraction and every excuse. And let us pay the price. Give us a genuine desire for your word. A genuine interest in your word. Not because of ministry or whatever, but just because we want to spend time with you. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. See you next week, even as we continue to look at context and the big one, or one of the big ones. Bible translations. <laughs> it's going to be a long episode, but we want to tackle as detailed as possible all the various issues about the Bible in the world of truth. Thank you for being with us for over a year now. Remember to give God your best and make sure to only man nothing but love. Bye bye. Bye.